0: It can get scary when you're legendary and speaking of the future we're going to talk about that here on locked on gators you are locked on gators your daily podcast on the florida gators part of the locked on podcast network your team every day hello and welcome back to another episode of locked on gators part of the lockdown podcast network your team every day thanks for making locked on gators your first listen of the day every day we are available daily and free wherever this is the podcast and on youtube happy friday i'm brandon Wilson. find me on twitter at wns underscore brandon find all my written work with giants country nfl 33 today's episode of lockdown gators is brought to you by fanduel make every moment more new customers Join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. And diving right into it today, we're talking about the future of the Florida Gators because let me tell you, this is a team that won five games last year, should have won more, but won five games last year and needs other players to step up in the absence of who you've lost. Namely... Ricky Pearsall, which is why the first player is Eugene Wilson the Third. And I know it it seems weird to go, oh yeah, freshman all-American. That's who needs to step up. However, he is the guy that I'm looking at as is going to take a leap in 2024. Not not just production-wise. Heck, maybe his receptions even drop off, honestly, with how it can go. But what I'm talking about with Eugene Wilson the third is First off, this is year two with Graham Mertz for Eugene Wilson third. Not just Graham Mertz for Florida, with Eugene Wilson third. Okay? Year two gives him added chemistry, added trust, which he's going to need or what Trey is going to have with Graham Mertz is that trust because Ricky Pearsall is gone. Ricky Pearsall is, I mean, Ricky Pearsall dominated the senior Bowl first two days of practice so much that he just stopped practicing after that. But he was like, all right, I'm going to head out. So that's how important he's been. That's how dominant he can be. And Ricky Pearsall, gone. Eugene Wilson III is stepping up in his place. And for me, I think that when we look at who is going to be replacing that production, it's going to be Eugene Wilson III you're probably going to see Eugene Wilson III get less catches, more yards, more touchdowns, because he's going to actually play wide receiver. And we talked about this during the season last year where he was a glorified gadget, which, again, gadget's not a bad thing in in 2023, 2024. It's not a bad thing in offensive football right now. Get the ball in the hands of your playmakers in space and allow them to make plays. That's what Florida did with Eugene Wilson III. I think that's a very underrated thing for what Billy Napier did. For, for all of the criticisms that you can give Billy Napier, I don't think you can say that he misused Eugene Wilson III. He could have used him more downfield. He could have used him more as a wide receiver. But when it comes down to it, Eugene Wilson III is a true freshman. as a dynamic football player, a dynamic playmaker. I said every time he touched the ball, it felt like he could house it. He runs like Odell Beckham Jr. is what who I've been saying he runs like with the ball in his hands. We can't even really talk about his route running too much because we haven't seen him do it much. All of his targets almost were right at the line of scrimmage or behind it, at an average depth of target of like two yards. That is not far <laughs> to be throwing the ball on average with Eugene Wilson III, but that's where he lived in 2023. And that could be a multitude of reasons. Offensive line play was terrible, which I do think the offensive line as a unit will probably be better this year because I do think that you've got improved tackle play with adding Brandon Crenshaw Dixon. Even if you do have Austin Barber starting at one of the tackle spots, you've upgraded them. You've upgraded one of the tackle spots at the minimum. So I think you've got improved tackle play there. You've got Jake Slaughter coming back after a pretty damn good season where he was thrown in at center. And then you are going to be replacing both of your starting guards. But, hey, it's football in 2024. We can be honest and say that guard is the position that you want to have to cover for on the offensive line because you can help them with tackles or centers. So guard is the spot that you want to go, oh, we need to fix that. So I think that you're going to have improved tackle play where last year it was terrible. You had to get the ball out quickly. So Eugene Wilson III was the guy that they were like, all right, check down Charlie, this stuff, and and pick up yardage that way. The running game was bad because of the offensive line. So what did they do? They used Eugene Wilson III as basically an extension of the running game. Really, that's what they did. You think about it, and it's basically like running stretch with him with how often they threw it to him behind the line of scrimmage after that jet motion. I think that another part of it that is probably a bit overlooked is that Eugene Wilson III last year was a mid-year enrollee that then got banged up and missed a, a good portion of that fall camp, meaning he didn't get the reps to work with Graham Mertz as an actual receiver. And running downfield, he he didn't get to practice the entire playbook until we were into the season, and so looking at how Eugene Wilson the was used, I think a lot of that does come down to playbook was again not an issue, not a problem. I don't want to say he's he like can't pick up the playbook at all. I'm not trying to imply that. I'm saying he didn't have time to work it, and so how else do you capitalize that? You just give him the ball. And if that's that jet touch pass, if that's that screen, then so be it. You could put him in the backfield, and I think we see more of that in 2024. But I think Eugene Wilson III is the guy that we're looking at for stepping up. You look at what he did against Georgia. It was a dig route that he took to the house. You look at what he did against Arkansas, the wheel route that he scored a touchdown on. When you throw him the ball downfield, he still makes plays. It's just that they were kind of just spamming him with, with the jet touch passes, or not even jet touch passes, like the jet motion Swings and they were kind of just hammering those. But I do think that Eugene Wilson III, with losing Ricky Pearsall, losing Caleb Douglas, who only played the first, I think, five games of the season or maybe four games of the season, losing that, I think you need Eugene Wilson III to step up. And I do think that he's ready, by the way. Like what I know that I said he hasn't been able to run routes fully. That was purely an opportunity thing. When you watch the reps where he does get to run routes, he is a fluid mover. And I think he's faster than Ricky. Like, I think you're looking at Ricky Pearsall, but more dynamic. And and so for me, I think Eugene Wilson, the third has to be the one that if we're talking about who's going to, who's going to take the next step, who's going to carry this passing offense, obviously that's not Graham Mertz. It has to be Eugene Wilson, the third, his film was good when he actually got to play wide receiver last year. So I I think that with another year, again, with more chemistry, because this is, Florida's had different starting quarterbacks back to back to back years. Now there's been no continuity in the system here. I think with Grammars and also Billy Napier has gotten better throughout his career when he's had quarterbacks play multiple years, they've gotten better. you look at Levi Lewis at Louisiana. So I think that we're talking about improved, not just talent wise, not just how he's used, but also the surrounding cast around him is going to help him succeed as a wide receiver. We're going to flip to the defensive side of the ball for the next segment. First, a quick word from FanDuel. Today's episode of Locked on Gators is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The Super Bowl is just a little over a week away now. So to all those who celebrate, happy Super Bowl from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, which I've told you. I do not plan on inviting people over. I do not plan on leaving. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm just watching the game and I'm enjoying it. Grabbing my favorite football food, placing some super bets, whether that's, they have Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes to combine for 50 rushing yards. It's like plus 105 on FanDuel right now. You can bet if someone will break the passing record, you can bet what it's going to be heads or tails. You can bet... Whichever team wins that to- wins the coin toss, will they defer? Will they receive? You could bet on everything on the Super Bowl. It's the best gambling day of the year. I love it. New customers, join today and you'll get two hundred dollars in bonus bets if your first bet of five dollars or more wins. Place it on a heavy favorite. Five bucks, two hundred in bonus bets. Throw it on some specials for the Super Bowl and profit. I'm just saying. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thanks again for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. I am very sunburned. If you're if you're listening to this, just know I am red, like Patrick star red. That's what we're doing. Um, but the next player that I do think is going to take a leap. It's not just, he has to, I think he's going to is Jordan Castell at safety. We've talked about this a lot when we were talking about the transfer portal in Florida should add a safety in Florida should do this. I think Jordan Castell is in prime position to take that next step as a pure safety. You look at the size, you look at the skill set, you look at how he started the year last year or not even started it, but like week two and then from beyond because week week one against Utah was not a great game for the safeties in general. But you look at how he was from week two to week six, seven-ish, and then he kind of hit the wall and he fell off, which happens with a lot of freshmen. Once you hit a, a, Once you hit kind of your limit, you hit that freshman wall because you're not used to doing it. You're not used to going that hard for that long at that level of play. And so it happens frequently. But one of the things that I love about Jordan Castell and why I do think he's he's not just, again, not just expecting to, but I think he's in perfect position to make that next step, is he's got a full year of tape. Played more snaps than anyone else on the defense last year. Full year of tape where he can go back and he can watch and he can say, hey, what did I do right in this game? What did I do wrong in this game? Like I, I can promise you that they're going to look at that Arkansas game which I think personally, I think that was Jordan Castell's worst game of the season was the Arkansas game. I think LSU is also pretty bad, but I think Arkansas was the worst game of the season because there were many, many opportunities during the Arkansas game where Jordan Castell had basically a free run at KJ Jefferson, who, by the way, Jordan Castell will be seeing KJ Jefferson again this year when Florida plays UCF. But you look at that Arkansas game and Jordan Castell had multiple plays with a free run at KJ Jefferson. And he either didn't wrap up, didn't just engage aggressively, or engaged too aggressively and kind of took himself out of the play. And again, that happened multiple times. Like that's not something that can happen even a single time. And it happened multiple times with Jordan Castell in that Arkansas game. And it was to the point where the second half, Arkansas was basically like, hey, man, We're just going to run with KJ, and when people do get through and they do get into the backfield, we don't trust them to tackle properly, and that happened a ton. Safety play tackling was horrible last year. Tackling really throughout the entire defense was horrible last year, but Jordan Castell is not exempt from that. Once he hit that true freshman wall, he really fell off a cliff talent-wise. He gets to look at that Arkansas game and go, where did I screw up? How do I improve He has to look at the LSU game and go, where did I screw up? How do I improve? And he has that full tape, that full season of tape to talk about. And we're going to talk about Kelby Collins and TJ Seriously in the next segment, but I'm just bringing them up because we've talked about them before, where they came into the game as rotational players, depth players. They came into the game, fresh legs against usually pretty tired offensive linemen or at least not fresh offensive linemen. And they did their thing and then they came out of the game and then whoever they came in for comes back in. And so with there, you don't get to see what you look like in a full game, let alone a full season. You're looking at small sample sizes. With a guy like Jordan Castell, that's not the case. He was routinely playing the most games or the most snaps in every game. Almost every game, because I believe Utah he did not but routinely playing the most snaps on the defense for the Florida Gators. Now you get to look at that body of work. You get to look at the individual game and then the entire season of work, and you get to see where he went wrong and how he can develop and how he can be improved. You also talk about, I mean, a defensive backs coach who cares. That's that's pretty significant. Corey Raymond left Florida, went to LSU, and immediately learned how to recruit again. Wild how that works. Will Harris, I get it. Florida Gators fans are pissed at him because he tweets the little the the pawn and, and he tweets a ton. And it's always him trying to hype something up. And then if it doesn't fall through or if it doesn't happen, then people get really upset with him. And it's like, well, hey. I'd rather someone who swings and misses than someone who is doing nothing that I know of. So, yeah, I, I, I'll I take what Will Harris is going to bring to the table. I'll take the guy who was at Washington when they were producing multiple nfl defensive backs and all american defensive backs and i've said before i I genuinely don't know if that was will harris or jimmy lake handling that more so because jimmy lake is again a defensive back guru so i don't know necessarily which one did more you'd have to ask the players but i will tell you that asa turner washington safety entered the transfer portal and came to florida I think that if you've got a safety that was recruited by Will Harris and coached by Will Harris, Will Harris leaves. A few years later, safety hits the portal and goes, you know, I want to go play with Will Harris again. I take that as a pretty strong indicator of what he does as a coach. I do because this is Asa Turner's last opportunity before he's got to go to the NFL and so for me i'm looking at asa turner making that decision and trusting will harris with that decision and with his basically future at this point point. and i take that as a pretty good sign of what will harris brings to the table especially when you look at asa turner who's had multiple defensive backs coaches over the years so i, I take that as a big plus plus. and also just continuing with the asa turner conversation asa turner is now a florida gator dj douglas is a florida gator You've improved the supporting cast around Jordan Castell. Like, I look at Asa Turner and Jordan Castell, and I look at that potential duo of tall, rangy, athletic safeties that can both play as deep safeties or in the box. And I'm like, okay, maybe Jordan Castell gets used a little better. Not that he was used poorly, but gets used in a more versatile way. Because don't forget, this is still a guy who in high school played corner, who in college so far, has played deep safety more than anything else. And who, when he was coming out of high school, Nick Saban wanted him to play linebacker. He's got that kind of size. So this is someone who's incredibly versatile and, and he's kind of a chess piece, which no pun intended on Will Harris, kind of a chess piece. And now he's going to be used more appropriately, I'll say. To wrap up today's show, we are talking about Kelby Collins and TJFC. Like I told you, both of them will be significant players. I think it's fair to assume that at least one of them is going to be a starting jack, starting f. And if you don't know, the f is that strong side defensive end that Justice, uh, that uh, Justice Boone was supposed to play last year. That Tyreek Sapp did play last year, and frankly, was not a strong position for the Florida Gators defense. Again, not that they had many. You look at the jack spot from last year is Prince Leumann Mielin, who is now at Ole Miss, so he will make one more. Uh, appearance in the swamp before he goes to the NFL. Kelby Collins and TJ Searcy, at least one of them is going to start. I think everybody's pretty confident saying that. Both of them will be significant impact players on this defense, whether that's good or bad, (laughs) will be significant impact players. And I do think that there's a realistic chance that both of them are starters. Kelby Collins at the F, TJ Searcy at the Jack, but both of them are also versatile enough where you could say, Hey, you're both standing up on this play. You're both a hand in the dirt this play, and you can get really creative with your approach to this defense under Austin Armstrong with Mike Peterson working with the edges again. I think that Kelby Collins, TJ seriously have to be big time impact players. TJ Searsy felt like he made splash play after splash play, and Kelby Collins was the third best pass rusher on the Florida Gators last year in terms of pressures. And yet 20, it was Prince Lee Mon-Mielin in in the mid-40s, Caleb Banks with 24, and Kelby Collins with, I believe, 20. So you're looking at not just having more time to work, but having, and by more time to work, I mean more playing time, but looking at people who have had now over a year of development at the SEC level, at Florida. Look at guys who are now in a supposedly improved strength and conditioning program for a team that was very weak at the point of attack. I mean, princely after princely went to Ole Miss, he did an interview with, I forgot it might've been all kinds of weather. Um, he did an interview where he was like, Hey, it felt like we were training for the pack 12. Like it felt like we were training to outrun people. And in the sec, you trained to beat the crap out of people that he didn't say that part, but he said, it felt like we were training the pack 12 felt like we were training just to just be faster than people. That's not how things work in the sec. You have to be ready to Dan Campbell it and, and bite some kneecaps if that's what you have to do to win a football game. And so I think with an improved strength and conditioning program, improved nutritional program, you're going to see guys in the trenches, take quicker development steps. Mike Peterson. We'll see what he is as a true developer because the edge group has not been good in the past couple of seasons including princely including brenton cox jr edge group hasn't been good recruiting has been good kelby collins and TJ seriously were good as true freshmen so i think this is the year we kind of find out is mike peterson a good enough developer of talent and a good enough actual coach on field to carry this edge group through until he gets a promotion somewhere else that's probably dc would be the next thing that he would leave for considering he's gators legacy uh, so I think that looking at Kelby Collins, CJ Searcy, they're primed for that next step. They've got time to develop. They've got playing time available to them with Princely gone with quite a few changes on the defensive line. And that brings me to the next point where you talk about the changes on the defensive line. We can scrap Princely from the conversation here because one of them will be replacing him. So they wouldn't have been playing with him anyway, even if he was here, we can scrap justice Boone, TJ Se- and, um, uh, Tyreek Sapp from the conversation as well because Kelby will probably be replacing them. At least in my opinion, I think Kelby is better than both of them. We'll say that. However, you look at the interior of the defensive line and your nose tackle is Cam Jackson, who's coming back for another year, and I do expect him to be at least better as a pass rusher. And I don't mean that he needs to be doing spin moves and everything, but just be able to push the pocket a little bit more. I think he he will be improved there. That's the main reason I think he came back was to prove that he can do that and go, hey, I'm not just a two-down nose tackle. I can be a valuable asset on all three downs or four if we need it. Then you look at what they did at that big end tackle spot, the three-tech, Joey Slackman came in from Penn. Huge fan of Joey Slackman's game you've got an improved defensive line i know it doesn't feel like it entirely because you lost princely and and he was all sec he was i don't think there's even a doubt that he was your best player especially at a premium position you lost him yeah but now you've got a better supporting cast the big thing with princely was that he couldn't make an impact because no one else could rush the passer that shouldn't be an issue as much this year with Florida, where you can have Cam Jackson, Joey Slackman, Caleb Banks. Any two of those three on the field, ideally, if you're talking about rushing the passer, it's Caleb Banks and Joey Slackman. But then you have Kelby Collins, TJ Searcy there, and it's like, okay, well, it's not just oh, block this one guy. You can have multiple guys put in one-on-one situations where they can make plays and and try to rush the passer. So I think the impor- I think similar to Jordan Castell, actually, the improved supporting cast will improve their level of play the same way that an improved secondary will improve Jordan Castell's level of play. So I'm looking at Kelby Collins, and I marked them both just because again, I think that one, we will look at them as a duo as we go through their Florida Gators career. I think we'll look at them as a duo because they came in together. They're expected to play significant roles this year together. And then you look at 2025 and what that's going to be. And, they'll probably both be playing pretty significant roles together in 2026. If they're back for a fourth year, then they'll probably play a pretty significant role there. So I think that we're going to keep them tied to each other the same way that people tie together, like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, even though one's clearly better than the other in that situation, they're tied to each other. And that just is what it is. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning tied to each other. Calby Collins and TJ Cersei will be looked at like that. But I do think that both of them have everything in front of them, where if they just work their tails off, they've got a chance to be significant impact players this year. And they should be significant impact players this year. Next being Lockdown Gators, your first listen of the day. Every day, we are available daily and free in the podcast. We'll be back Monday when I will be back home and hopefully a little less burnt because, yeah, that sucks. For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with Giants, Country, NFL 33, and I'll see you all Monday.